actual hockey afoot this week. I almost can't believe it, except that I do have a calendar that comes with the iPhone. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Rookie camp opens Thursday in Cranberry, and it's going to be constituted of pretty much the same prospects you've been seeing for a while now. And the reason for that is that they don't graduate to the next level. It's like perpetual high school. The prospect pool isn't very good to be kind in the Pittsburgh system. That's not news to anybody. But that doesn't mean that there should be just this free pass for all of them individually. Sam Pullen jumps out at me. He's going to be part of that rookie camp. He's coming off his first professional season of hockey with Wilkes-Barre Scranton. And he he kind of came of age in the second half of the AHL season. To his credit, he did. 16 goals, 21 assists. In 72 games, and I know 37 points in 72 games doesn't excite anybody, but he finished a lot stronger than he started out, even carrying that into the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins' brief Calder Cup playoff run of just six games. He had three goals in those six games, so he showed up when they needed him the most as well. That's promising. That's encouraging, but he's a 21st overall pick in the 2019 draft. He's 21 years old, and, you know, it's about time. I always appreciate any time an organization is committed to the general practice of sending even a first-rounder to the AHL for a year. There are a lot of lessons to be learned about camaraderie, about how to carry yourself, about how to fight for your teammates, about how to literally fight for your teammates. And Sam's stood tall by all accounts in those regards, and he made himself, again, a go-to guy as the season went along. But what's the next level from him? Where's the next level from him? The next person I hear inside the organization speculating on Sam having even a hidden prayer of making the Penguins roster out of this coming training camp will be the first. There's no one no one even thinking that way. There can't be. Whereas, some of you will recall, that Sam's first camp, he made a little bit of an impression. They liked what they saw. COVID comes along and kind of screws up everything, but I never heard Sam getting written off. And I haven't heard Sam getting written off now either. But I also don't hear him getting written on. And that's actually a little bit odd for a first-round pick. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org.
org. So what does a competent version of Sam Poulin in the NHL look like? That's a question I've asked myself at times. In watching him, you don't get the impression immediately or otherwise that this is going to be some big scorer, that there's some breakout that's waiting to happen, even in the AHL. I don't believe his numbers are ever going to blow you away. But he's going to have to counter that by becoming very dependable defensively. He'll have to become a complete forward. There is no trace of that. This has nothing to do with whether or not he tries hard or cares a lot. Not all hockey players are equipped with the two-way gene. And Sam, a lot of times... I'm trying to find a nice way to say this because I, I don't want I don't want somebody to hear this and think, oh, this is just a left-handed Daniel Sprong here. But there's some of that there. Now, Sprong was, and I can comfortably say is, just lost without the puck. Once he gets it, he can do some pretty devastating things, as he's shown on occasion to his credit in the NHL, in the offensive zone absolutely worthless. In fact, a negative value everywhere else on the rink. Sam at times has looked like he wants to contribute to something uh, defensively, just doesn't seem to know how. He looks at times like he wants to contribute physically, but he doesn't know how to do that without taking himself out of position. He's got the skating, he's got the size, and he's got the build to do all of those things. But if you don't have the instinct to match, then you're going to have to be open in the biggest way conceivable to, I don't know, I guess like a complete rebranding by a coach. So what comes first for Sam? Do you want to see him score and then say, well, here we go. This is a top six type forward. We can work him into a top six type role. I, I don't see that coming. Do you want to try to turn him into, what am I doing here with this one? Is it Brian Rust? I mean, Rusty obviously turned himself into something pretty significant. So that's probably not the best parallel. But, you know, more of a uh, Dan Heinen. You know, something like that? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do know that regardless of the caliber of your draft class, and Pullins was not great, you are a 21st overall pick for an organization that doesn't get many of those, and they can't miss. That's a negative reflection on everyone involved, from the scouts all the way through the process and on the player. So let's see something. Let's see him find a way to stand out the way, say, Drew O'Connor did at the last camp. Uh, the way uh, John Marino, obviously, is the shining example. I could go back to Olimata. There are young guys who just show up at a camp and just demand to be placed on a roster. Everybody gets on Mike Sullivan. Hey, I don't want to play the young guys. I don't want to play the young guys. There are plenty of examples of him playing the young guys, even in the face of having virtually no experience. But they're the ones who have to make that statement. When we come back, J1Q.
today's J1Q comes from, here it is, Aaron Cake. And Aaron asks, DK, I know this is a backloaded question, and it's easy to say now that it was the wrong move, but what was Jim Rutherford thinking signing Marcus Pedersen at the time that he did and at the price that he did? I don't think he's ever made Pedersen a consistent impact that deserves $4 million a year. I would literally prefer Mark Friedman in the lineup over Pedersen. You know, Aaron, I'm going to admit to being somewhat partial to Pedersen. I'm not quite sure where the bad rap that he gets originates from. It might be that, you know, he's not that guy that's going to look super smooth with the puck. He's not going to hit anybody with that super slender frame of his. Um, uh, other than that, I'm not sure. Uh, unless you're just saying, as, as you did state, that he isn't worth the money, but then you say <laughs> you say that you'd rather see Friedman instead of him. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, for me, the Pedersen contract was part of a pattern with Jim that brought way more good than it did bad. You can say what you want about the Pedersen deal. You can say what you want about the John Marino deal. You can say what you want, and everybody still does, about the Jack Johnson deal. However, all of those are mitigated, just completely wiped away by the Jake Gensel contract and by the previous Brian Rust contract. The amount of money the Penguins saved, the amount of grief they saved themselves, just just on Jake, for, forget Rusty, just, just, just on Jake being signed for as long as he signed at $6 million per, do you know how much a 40-goal young guy gets in the NHL on the open market? One year of Jake, one year of savings on Jake, mitigates all the rest. So to me, if you're going to look at what Rutherford was thinking with Pedersen, you got to look at the whole pattern. But again, I'm going to come back to this. I like Marcus. I like what he brings to a blue line. He's steady. He's super smart. He battles. Now, again, he, that doesn't mean he goes around knocking people over, but he battles. You watch him in front of the net, he's not very effective, but he's trying really, really hard, okay? There's a reason that opponents are constantly trying to kill him, okay? Now, all that said, and this is going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. That's not my intent, but I do believe that there's gray area in you know almost everything in the world. Marcus is the guy that I'd be looking to move if I could via trade. My understanding is that that's already been tried and it hasn't happened. Bearing in mind that it takes two to pull one of these things off. Marcus's deal, which is a pretty significant one, five years, 20 million, still has a couple years to run. So when someone's taking on the cap hit, they're taking on the cap hit not just for this coming season. And right now with the flat cap across the league, you're just not seeing teams do that. I would hope that the Penguins aren't preventing themselves from making a trade by expecting a return. Cap space actually 
can be and often is the return. That's got to be the mindset that you have, whether it comes to moving Pedersen or Brian Dumoulin, who's also in the $4 million cap hit range, but is markedly older at age 31 and has only one year left on his contract. So don't be don't be too harsh on Jim and don't bring up bad contracts that he signed without bringing up Jake. I appreciate the question, Aaron. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.